You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. This sermon is on anger, which is kind of interesting coming off a really fun weekend. uh, Hey, let's talk about anger. Uh, today. Uh, so it's a f- kind of a weird, uh, kind of offbeat kind of thing, but that's what we're going to do. And I trust in God's sovereign plan that this will affect each one of us in a really deep way, in a good way, uh, for, his, for his honor and his glory, for sure, as we talk about these things. So uh, we're going to have you stand one more time, if you're able, uh, to and read together. We're going to read the intro of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5. Uh, 1 through 12, or 1 through, yeah, 1 through 12, and then we're going to read our passage 21 through 26 of that same chapter. So you can see it and follow along on the screen. It says this, Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now skipping to verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of God. All right, you can grab a seat. Let's pray and then we'll jump into this text. Jesus, we thank you once again. We come before you um, in adoration. We hallowed your name. And... uh, We want to read and and study your word faithfully uh, through the week and and then here on Sunday to hear it preached. And and I I pray, Jesus, as Ryan's already prayed, that you'll use me despite me, that you'll use the words uh, that I've uh, prepared through this week. And uh, Lord, that you'll touch the hearts of all of us. I ask that you'll touch my heart as well. Uh, When it comes to anger, not one of us. Is, uh, is free from these things. And so help us, Lord, uh, be faithful and uh, honor you with our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we covered the opening paragraph coming out of the intro that I read again and uh, out of that intro of 2 through 11. 
And the next paragraph is the salt and light. And we are, I challenge you to be salt and light into the communities around us. And, and like I said today, through Jesus' powerful sermon here, he begins to reframe the law. Like he's starting here in this paragraph to reframe the law that was before us and that we might see a deeper level of our heart and how sin is so present in there. And so the outline this morning that we're going to walk through this little text of 21 through 26 is command, judgment, and reconciliation. Command, judgment, and reconciliation. So let's hit the first one. In verse 21, Jesus takes us back to the Ten Commandments that God himself gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. He penned them with his finger, remember that, on two tablets. And Jesus is reminding the people by saying this, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. See, this is Jesus opening the vault of teaching that has been passed down through generation to generation. And Jesus is saying... You've missed it. You've missed the main point here. The main point isn't just murder. The main point is anger within you. This is what you need to see. This is what we need to be awakened to. It is not the murder, some thing over here that I can actually fulfill not to murder someone. It's something deeper. See, this is missing the main point for us. It's not just murder, it's the anger in your heart. That's the problem. And that, my friends, is the fastest first point you will ever hear me preach. The command of Christ. This is the main point. It's not murder itself, it's the anger within you. So let's move to the second one, is judgment. Now take a look at the outcome of disobedience to God's law. So we got God's law, which is... Do not murder, which is actually Jesus is setting up here in this, is that it's actually the anger in our hearts. So judgment, take a look at the next verse, the end of 21 to 22. It says this, whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So there's what you have heard in the past. Do not murder or you'll be liable to judgment. So they've already known this. They've been passing this down from generation to generation. But Jesus in 22 says this, but I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. See, we cannot miss what is being said here. Jesus is equating murder and anger and treating them on the same level. He's not elevating one over the other. He's actually upping the ante when you have anger in your heart. And there seems to be three stages of judgment here, and we've got judgment judges, we've got religious authority, and we've got Jesus. So the first stage is judges. Judges were instilled to bring structure to the land. We see this actually in Deuteronomy, if we go back to the Old Testament, to verse 16 to 18, or chapter 16, verse 18, it says this, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you. So again, your land that you have is not your own. It's something of a gift. According to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. And righteousness is just a fancy word, the right standing before a holy God. So we're going to appoint righteous men to give righteous judgment. See, the leaders of the town were to appoint these righteous men to bring righteous judgment to those that broke the laws of the land. And without this, we know what happens, right? We get places like Chaz in Seattle a couple years ago, if you remember that. 
You get things that are going on, like right now in France. We get looting. We get temper tantrums and screaming for no other reason than I want to. We get statements like at the end of Book of Judges in 21-25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So in this first stage, if you are angry, thinking, thinking about another with angry or anger intent in your heart without actually talking to them, you will stand before judgment for your anger. So you don't even have to be in the same room here at this point. And do you see and recognize the importance of what Jesus is saying in this sermon? Jesus is saying you will not get away with acting any way you want. You're not going to get away with it. Truth always will be revealed and judgment for your heart will be exposed before others. Parents, you of all people know this, right? You know this. There is going to be judgment. You, you are to bring actually structure to your children. As you evaluate your children and raise them up to maturity, you cannot give them everything they want. If we just had free reign at that table, those cookies would have been gone a long time ago. You know this well. You can't give your kids everything they want or it's not helping them and it's not going to help you in the future. They need to hear no at times even when they ask the appropriate way. When they say please and thank yous and all that, they still need to hear no at times for them to learn and understand how to act appropriately when they hear the no. There are certain things they need to be taught so that they learn to be well thought of as they grow to adulthood, as they become the leaders of the land. Like raising children, we too have a judge when we act inappropriately that we might grow in maturity, and this is good for us. It's actually really good for us. And this is Jesus in this sermon to his disciples sitting on a hill, sharing with them these parental advice as if we were his children. See, the second stage, like I said, the first one is judges. The second one is a religious authority in this text. And this is the council, the religious leaders. Jesus doubles down on order and righteous judgment here that ought to be able to handle any matter, any matter this side of heaven. The religious authorities are those called by God to serve and bring order to the people. And this made up the Sanhedrin, the religious council of Jerusalem. And like I said, this group is meant to handle all matters of dispute capable men to bring order and justice. And we see an example in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1-4, through 4, when it reads this, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law, the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? So again, this is the religious authority. You have the abilities and the, the, the handbook of sorts to give righteous judgment. And this is the importance of character men and women in the church, those that strive for right standing before God, to live for the praise of God rather than the praise of man. And we have been given God's story that we might see his love, his mercy, his grace, his righteousness, that we might judge between 
one another rightly, with a right and pure heart, with righteousness, with mercy, with grace, as Jesus has given us. Look at James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. Gives us a good idea of some of this judgment. Who is wise and understanding among you? This is maybe how you might choose a judge. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. In the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is actually earthly unspiritual and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. See, to be liable to those in authority would be to submit to them. It comes up again in Matthew 18 when talking about church discipline. It's the same layout here in our text that we have today. If there is a matter between you and another, deal with it. If it it continues, take two to three with you. If it still continues, bring it to the church. The church being the final authority before death. See, the call is to humble yourself and seek reconciliation because without it, you're revealing your hard heart and will be treated as an unbeliever in that text. So we have judges. We have religious authority. Then the last and final stage of judgment is Jesus. This is a scary one to be under. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 28 to 31. It says this, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses, so shall not murder is one of those things. If you set that aside, you do what you want to do. If anyone has set aside the law of Moses, dies without mercy. That's a crazy statement. Dies without mercy on the evidence of just two to three. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. When I evangelize, another core value of ours, evangelism, when I evangelize, often I say in the end of the conversation with someone, I'll go, you know what, there's an unfortunate thing that happened here. And the unfortunate thing that happened is I shared the gospel and you understood it. But yet you didn't agree with it. You, You said, I don't want it. The unfortunate thing is now you know the truth and you're going to be greater, there's going to be a greater judgment towards you. And I fear for you, please think about this. Please think about this. I'm longing, I'm er, urgently saying to you, because I love you, please think about this. You know the story of Jesus. You know that he came to pay for your sin. To die for your sin, not for his. He was sinless. So he took all of your sin upon himself. And died for it. 
that you might be live if you confess him with your mouth and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead. If you believe those things, you're saved. But when you deny them, you spend eternity painted off. And I urge you, think about these things. There's going to be a higher judgment for you when you know that truth. Luke 12, 5 also says, I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. See, there is no more judgment at this point. There is no more warning. At this point, there are no more chances when you hold on to your anger against another before a holy God. Judgment is a serious matter, friends. It's a serious matter that Jesus does not take lightly and does not want those listening to miss this lesson. Jesus is helping his listeners and us as well. If you have anger in your heart towards another, you are liable to the gates of hell. Just one page over in chapter 6, Jesus continues this thought with Matthew six fourteen to 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, if you hold on to your judgment, your weak, insignificant judgment of another, you will... It says... But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. See, something we need to see in our text, Matthew 5, 21 to 26, the accused is the one to seek after reconciliation to make things right. The accused. In Matthew 6, that passage I just read, it is the one that has been sinned against that is told to go and seek reconciliation. No matter the stage of judgment, judges, religious authority, Jesus, the same outcome when in sin and sinned against is to find reconciliation. That's the call here. Know the command. Know that judgment is coming when you disobey that command. But there's such good hope in reconciliation with Jesus. And this is our aim as followers of Christ as well. This is my third point. See, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 11, it says, finally, brothers, rejoice. Rejoice, period. Next sentence. Aim for restoration. Aim for it. Aim to be restored back to God the Father. Aim to be restored through Jesus the Son. Aim to be restored with one another. It ought to be our aim. Comfort one another. Don't cause division. Don't poke and prod. It's not helpful for the body. But comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. What an amazing promise. Oftentimes in my Bible, when I come across promises, I just put a P in the bracket, on the, on the sideline. And you'll see prom, P's everywhere in the Scripture, especially in the New Testament. It's just beautiful. And that's a great promise. The God of love and peace will be with you when you act in these ways. 
So remember last week, we were to be salt and light to others, giving glory to God at all times and all ways. In our anger, we ought to be in right mind and with a right heart motivation, and that is to be reconcilers, to be seeking it out. Look at verse 23 and 25 again in our text. It says this, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. See, there is an order here. Reconcile, then worship. Reconcile, then worship. It's over and over in the scripture. Jesus wants right relationship between us as a body of, the church, of his church, his bride, and he wants reconciliation with, us, with him. See, God is more concerned with right relationships between his children than the gifts that you bring him. This is what this text is saying. See, isn't this the case in our families as well? If your kids are at odds with one another, if they're fighting, and then they go, Daddy or Mommy, I want to give you this gift, you don't want to take it. The best gift is that they reconcile. That's the gift I want. I don't want you to give me gifts right now. I want you to put your gifts down and get together again. Love each other. What is going on here? We need to figure this out. We need to get peace back. Right? A good father wants peace within the home. A good father wants love between his children. A good father desires that his home will be filled with mercy for one another, for those that seek righteousness. That's what he wants. And does it sound familiar? It's me hyperlinking back to verses 2 through 11. This is to be peaceable. To give mercy. This is the character qualities that Jesus opened up his sermon with. These are the things that are foundational for relationship. That's why Jesus opened his sermon this way. The foundation for his bride is to live these things out. See, this is why when I explain communion most every Sunday, I say if you have something to be reconciled with another, do that first. Don't come for communion. Do the reconciliation first. That's most important. If you have something wrong with your spouse, don't come for communion. Get reconciled first. Aim for it. Restore that relationship. That's what Jesus wants. I think oftentimes, and I'm guilty of it as well, that we've taken communion wrongly. We've partaken in Jesus' grace and mercy in a wrong way. That's why as a shepherd of yours is one that I want, I want us to do this together, to do this right, to just to actually read the scripture and do it. It just seems that easy. So if we have something wrong with one another, let's just do that. It's going to build this body up as, as such an encouragement as we fight for one another, as we battle for one another, as we desire peace between one another and love for one another. This is why I say these things. So if there's something wrong with a brother or a sister here, or a spouse, or a child, go to them. 
you have full-on freedom to go outside and grab your kid and go, you know what, how I talked to you this morning was not right. Can you please forgive me? And I guarantee that kid will go, yeah, sure, I'm just going to go play now, Dad. Guaranteed. That's how we ought to be. So freeing to forgive. And what a lesson it is for them to hear that from you. What a lesson that is to hear that from one another. See, when someone does that to me, and I have had that to someone coming to me and asking for forgiveness. And man, my heart instantly just sank in a good way. And I think what it was, was the hardness just softened. When someone goes, you know what? I treated you poorly in this way. Please forgive me. I was like, how do you say no to that? Of course I'll forgive you. I love you. This is how we are to be the church. This is what it is called in this passage of coming to the communion table, settled in our disputes. Peacemakers. See, do that before coming to the altar and partaking in the sacrifice of Christ. See, this passage is talking about anger. And the source of our anger is our heart. It's deep within us. And we need to recognize, we need to clear this thing out. It's evil and deceptive and above all things, it, it is the evil thing in this world. Jeremiah 17.9 says it. See, there's so much more we could talk about when it comes to anger, judgment, and reconciliation. This is a massive topic. It is is all through the scripture. We see the anger right at the beginning of the Bible all the way through to the end in the judgment. And we see great reconciliation right in here in Matthew and the gospel at the end of the book. It's a beautiful story. And this is the story of the scripture, the commands, the judgments, and the reconciliation. But let me close with this. Maybe we'll hit more of this in the years to come, but let me close with this one. Who in your mind's eye is the most angry character in the scripture? Who's the most angry character in the scripture? And man, when I, when I started thinking about that, I was like instantly like Pharaoh and Herod came into mind. Like wiped out a generation of babies by, to- like I don't know how angry you have to be to toss an infant into the, the Nile River. Like I can't even, can't even comprehend that. And they wiped out a generation of people by just tossing them into the Nile River. Or Herod, around Jesus' birth, just went and killed every child under two. Every boy child under two with a sword. I, I don't understand how someone could do that. It's a good guess, but I think it's a wrong one. You have Satan, the deceiver, the one that manipulates, the one that from the beginning of time, all the way back to Adam and Eve, he was wanting to kill and destroy every creature, every part of creation, because he hated God with a visceral hatred. I think that's a good guess, but I think it's wrong. The most angry character in the scripture is God himself. See, this tells us something about anger. David Paulison, an author and biblical counselor, said it this way. Anger can be utterly right, good, appropriate, beautiful, 
the only fair response to something evil and the loving response on behalf of evil's victims. In fact, it would be impossible for a moral being to stand in the presence of perceived wrong, indifferent and unmoved. Check this out. God in his perfection must and has acted against evil with a righteous anger. And in his anger, God has fulfilled the command, the judgment, and the reconciliation. He's filled all three in his son, Jesus. What we deserved, Jesus bore at the cross. Jesus became and was always the gift from the Father. God was perfect in his anger, but at the same time, he was perfectly loving. And you cannot understand one without the other. Righteous anger is always filled with love. You can't have one without the other. And God bestows both perfectly. See, why we aim for reconciliation is because we are the ones that have been reconciled. Jesus came that we might have life and life to the full. And then the great act of love of Jesus' life death and resurrection. We are called to do the same, and it's on the screen here. We are called to surrender to the commands of God. We are to rest in his perfect judgment. Rest in it. And we are to imitate his reconciliation for the sake of others. So before we leave today, if you have someone that you need to forgive or be forgiven, next slide, Mark. Don't clam up, don't blow up, grow up, grow up. Go to them and make what was wrong right with humility, gentleness, and love, all for the glory of God, all for the glory of God. Not for you, you have to die to yourself for this. To grow up, you actually have to die to yourself. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this text. What a lesson it is for me to understand your perfect love and your perfect anger towards unrighteousness. Lord, help us all see the unrighteousness of this, of this world, of, of the enemy's distortion, that we might be righteously angry but actually righteously loving at the same time. Please, Lord, fill us with your spirit that we might be able to to emulate you, to imitate you as our Father, that we might live with peace and mercy and grace, reconciling and restoring others to you, their true hope and their true joy. Lord, help us be faithful servants of yours today as we go and and fellowship and play with our kids and and get to know one another and, and seek restoration with one another quickly, not letting the sun go down on it any longer. So help us, Lord, today, this day, this week, and for years to come. Help us be your servants and your saints in this world, living out your commands, bringing righteous judgment and righteous reconciliation towards you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.